Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This week on Barca Talk, Sergi is in for four more years, Samedo is out for five weeks, and the team has set a new club record. One of our listeners asks why we aren't seeing many players from La Masia lately. Barca B took a draw and FCB Femini defeated Valencia. And the first team are in a good position over Chelsea after the first leg of their Champions League tie and a decisive victory over Girona at the Camp Nou kept them undefeated in La Liga. It's Barca Talk. Settle in. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. This is Brian Henderson. Welcome to the show. Joining me as always is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kool-Aids, welcome to episode 67 of the Barca Talk podcast. Brian, I'm here in Madrid. Today was a glorious afternoon. Finally, we got some sun. Just before I got here to record, I had some nice beers with some friends. So I'm very excited about the prospect of spring. How are you doing in Buffalo? Similar. We are doing similar in Buffalo. Uh, the snow has all melted uh, for the most part, you know, because when you plow it, you get these huge mountains of snow. Uh, those are still, you know, they, they melt slower. So those are still working on their thing. But in general, all the snow has melted. We've got some rain, which is a good sign. Not a whole lot of sun, but our spring, uh, it comes a little bit later. You know, we're we're looking for late March, early April for that. Uh, so we're looking ahead to, um, you know, around Easter before it before the weather really turns it's okay you know i mean personally i prefer snow to rain but then again i don't like the cold so that was a very exciting response to your question <laughs> Brian. <laughs> i need you to pep up man we you need to get another espresso yeah well what's yeah, wrong you need with to me get here some red bull in you maybe some i don't know what other what other chemical drinks can we I've already had a oh pot of coffee gosh. this morning. I mean, Remember, it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's about the, the quality hell? of the coffee, not the quantity, right? So maybe I have good coffee. Yeah. I drink good coffee, okay. yes. And I make I use Chemex because I'm fancy and bougie like that. I use uh, I have good coffee. But man, whew, yeah, especially after that intro. I felt like I, I introed you like a ninja. And then uh, suddenly I just I ran out of steam. I was like an old man <laughs> walking up a, a small flight of stairs. I mean, it's, uh, you're, so like, like, but anyway. you're like uh, Brian Downer right now. I mean, you know, Barca won last <laughs> night. I mean, let's get hyped, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't have kids. Womp womp. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Yes, that is my situation. All right, let's, let's pep up. There's plenty to be happy about in Barcelona world 
So let's get into it and talk about some news. First item, actually, this should be the kind of news that would perk me right up, which is that Sergi Roberto just this last week signed a new contract extension with the club until 2022. We have him. He's ours. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know, I posted in our Facebook group for sure that I thought you would be super excited about this. Maybe bought him some flowers, (laughs) you know, this type of thing, you know, especially since he's your favorite player right now. And finally, he got to officially sign that contract. He had to get that new suit, you know, kind of reminded me of that, you know, when I remember when I was a kid and I had that first communion it's like the first time you're wearing a suit because I, I can't remember the last time I ever seen Sergio Roberto in a suit. So, uh, but <laughs> He's yeah, wearing suits. But, uh, I've really, seen him in suits. Yeah, you've seen yeah. him in suits. All right, well, but it, it was I a mean, very I nice just, suit I, that he wore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's great to see him officially sign it. Um, you know, they have that official signing room that's all black. You know, it's all very elegant right. there. So it was really great to uh, to see that officially happen. Pure Catalan marble along the walls and rich mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Yes, it's a lovely room to sign contracts in, a great suit. And I'm yes, I am very happy. In fact, we really need to share this photo on our Instagram or something. This photo that you sent me that your sister made where she took the an image from Titanic where they're I guess it's I've never seen Titanic, but uh it's apparently the one where they're like at the front of the ship and they're holding each other. And and your sister uh put my face on I think Leo's body and Sergio Roberto's face on Kate Winslet's body. Is that right? That is correct. <laughs> and the funny thing is she sent it to me and I didn't recognize who it was because the picture of you, it has, I don't know how she found this picture, but she found a picture of you with your head tilted perfectly. And at first I was like, is that Brian and Sergio Roberto? And then I texted her and she said, yep. And I said, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. So you are at the front of the Titanic, and now we just have to put now till twenty twenty two now. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. So that's that's going up on the uh, on the Instagram feed. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> it was a, it's a marvel of photoshopping. Next bit of news: Samedo. He's going to be out for about five weeks. So he injured his left hamstring in that uh, in that match with Hirona. That's that's not great news. It, it didn't look that severe, but you know, five weeks. I, but hamstrings are you know. A serious muscle in this sport so obviously he's he's going to be out for a little while and all I can think about with that is like well our hopes and dreams for Sergio Roberto to get more time in midfield have to be put on hold yet again but let's just talk about Semedo I don't I don't want to focus too much on Sergi yeah I mean it's unfortunate I mean I thought it was serious just the way how he fell and obviously the way the precaution they took in the Hirona match last night when they took him off Again, this is another hamstring issue in our defense this year. I mean, we had Vermalen with his um, hamstring issues. And so um, it's unfortunate because I think last night was Semedo's best match of the season. I think he finally kind of found his groove of mixing defense and when to attack. And he had a better chemistry last night with Dembele. So that for me is really sad because, like we talked about, um, less playing time for Sergio Roberto in the midfield or less opportunities. But he's going to have more time on the field, Sergio Roberto is. So I guess it's good and bad, right? I mean, unfortunately, Semedo is going to be out five weeks. I mean, I just got the text update from FC Barcelona on my phone. So that's a really unfortunate for Semedo. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and also, you know, because Sergio Roberto is clearly the, the first choice fullback, Semedo doesn't get too many opportunities. So it's a bummer when he gets... He gets an opportunity, plays really well, and then he injures his hamstring and he has to be out for five weeks. But a bit of bad news, but, uh, you know, we'll carry on as best we can. Now, uh, third item, the team 
in that Girona win over the weekend, they have set a new club record surpassing Pep's 2010-11 record of 31 matches unbeaten in La Liga. So this actually goes back to Luis Enrique's time last season. But uh, we've gone 32 matches now in La Liga unbeaten, so it's a new club record. And that, I think, really shows what a great start Val Green has had. Yeah, I mean, he's had a great start to his career at FC Barcelona. And it's crazy to see, you know, the the evolution of this season, you know, from the first uh, couple matches in the Spanish Super Cup against Madrid where, you know, we thought our pets' heads were falling off and everything was the apocalypse in FC Barcelona's world. And now to this point where we are, where we haven't lost a match in La Liga, which is incredible. So, uh, again, it just goes to show how... Um, Val Green has evolved the team for these, uh, especially for the matches away from the Camp Nou, where we um, have been able to get points everywhere. And just a really great start for Val Green's career at FC Barcelona. I know. I'm so happy to, to see this happening. And I'm like, I enjoy the football that, that we've been seeing. Uh, we've talked, of course, about how it's not. It's not the same tiki-taka. It's not the same possession game as we all love and romanticize about the Pep era. But it's it's also more balanced. We have such a great defense and we have a, a great offense. And now we have so many different kinds of attacking threats. We have threats in the air. We have threats from the side. We have, we have Coutinho now with those shots from outside the box, which just they just ping the goal like crazy. Uh, so many positive things. So, you know, not surprisingly, we have this great record and we've set set this new record. And I I anticipate that we could uh, continue it to see how far it goes. Now, in our community segment, our uh, first item is a question we got from Carlos on Instagram. He wants to know our opinion as to why we aren't seeing players from La Masia recently in the main team. And it's always a good topic, one that we've talked about before and will continue to talk about. So since Carlos brought it up, where are we right now? What is our opinion of the degree of La Masia players we're seeing in the first team at this I mean, time. Where are they going to play? <laughs> I mean, right now we're we are in the serious crunch time of the season, you know, with Champions League and La Liga. I mean, we still have a bit of a cushion uh, against Atletico Madrid, but I mean, where are they going to find time? I mean, we're we're having a hard time finding time for Paulinho and Sergio Roberto midfield. I mean, how are we going to incorporate a La Masia player at this moment, especially, you know, with Champions League qualification? Yeah, and I don't know if Carlos is talking about this, you know, as far as the whole season or just in the last few weeks, because earlier on, uh, especially, you know, looking at those earlier rounds of the Copa del Rey, you know, we had we had some some younger players from the from the B team playing in those early rounds. Uh, Carlos Alenia has had some opportunities uh, Arnaiz has been brought up. Although, for me, Arnaiz is not a La Masia player. He, he plays for Barca B right now, but I don't consider him to be La Masia. How do you feel about that, about that distinction? No, I, I agree. I agree. Just because he hasn't grown up through the juvenile ranks, um, I agree. He's, I don't think he's a true out-and-out La Masia, quote-unquote, player. But, I mean, again, it goes against this, Brian. I mean, what... Does the board want? I mean, because obviously we have our opinions uh, of how we would run the club, but, you know, it's really what the board wants to do, right? And it looks like they're going to maybe bring a La Masia player here or there, but it looks like they're going to focus filling out the roster with um, players from abroad or players from other leagues just to have certainty of the talent that we're going to have. 
So, you know, obviously, like we, we've mentioned in, I think, a couple episodes ago, what my theory would be great to have two or three spots reserved for La Masia players, just so there's a connection through that. But since we don't have that, and, you know, Val Green's objective is to always just to win as many matches. So, you know, again, it just depends on what the board feels. But as we've seen this season and, and the last year, the board is more interested in bringing high-priced free agents. Yeah, and, and uh, this question also made me think about whether things are just generally more competitive now than they were eight, nine, ten years ago. I think that's a really great point because maybe, you know, I don't really specifically remember how the team was, you know, right before Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta and that crop of players came from La Masia. I didn't, you know, with the board and how they were thinking specifically. But I agree, you know, I there can be a point where everything is more competitive. You know, we saw last year... You know, we didn't, you know, technically we didn't have the greatest season. You know, we didn't have La Liga or Champions League titles. And so you can see how the fans reacted and the board counter reacted to try to get Coutinho or that they got Coutinho and Dembele and traded Neymar and for all these high priced free agents to allow certainty to compete for these titles. Right. And then, of course, those players, they take up the spots that otherwise the younger players would have yeah i mean if you look at the bench right now right so we have gomes i would rather have a la masia player instead of him we have suarez we have digne i like digne i think he's a quality b type of player you know to have to give jordi alba a spell here and there but again you know i'd rather have digne at this moment than a la masia player that is uncertain you know because we can't afford these slip-ups especially in la liga you know, in the beginning of the La Liga season when we were still in the thick of it. You know, now we have a bit of a cushion, but that's also because of, you know, the players we have and not trying to incorporate so many La Masia players if we did have them. Yeah, and, you know, right now, like you were saying, it's crunch time in the season. You know, Valgreen, he's on a good streak. He wants to continue that. And it's just like in any match where you have uh, B-team players on the bench. Right, rather than starting. I mean, when when you're starting them, you're definitely kind of making a statement about what your what you consider to be a reasonable expectation for that match. But you know, normally when you have a B player like Alenia or something on the bench, and you, you know, you get up a goal, you get up two goals maybe, and then in the last ten twenty minutes of the match, you bring him in. You just telescope that out to the whole season, right? You get ahead, you you seal the the deal, you you know, make sure you have enough cushion when you're hopefully. You know, if things go well, and things are going well at this point, but we're still not at the at the point where Val Green can start bringing those B players up, putting them on the bench, or maybe even starting them in the season. You gotta you gotta have your cushion in the table when you're maybe three four games away from the end of the season, and then you can start creating those opportunities again. I think right now is just usually not the time of the year that you see those opportunities arise for those young players. I mean, I think what part of the problem is, is that a lot of Kool-Aids have this fantasy that there is an Iniesta, a Xavi, a Busquets right now in La Masia. And the reason why we're not finding them is because they're not playing them. We need to really think about that was a moment of time that we'll never get back, right? That was such a lucky thing to happen the stars aligned to find all those players through la masia at that one moment you know when i think about this i always think about like the manchester united when they had their crop of recruits coming in all at the same time beckham neville um paul Scholes, all that and that led to a 
Both I mean, Nevilles. Yeah, both Nevilles. And also Aaron Neville from The Singer. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and so, so again, it's so much easier to say, oh, we just need to just keep going La Masia players. But we can't guarantee that we're going to be able to find those players. And again, this also goes back to the 4-3-3 of Pep's time. You know, we have this this fantasy that we always want to go back to that. And all we have to do is just say, okay, roll out the 4-3-3 and we can do it. Again, we, we had a lucky era that we were a part of and able to see and witness, and that's just not going to happen again. We have to adapt. And yeah, I would love to see more La Masia's players get opportunities, but if the scouting team, Val Green, are not seeing that special talent that they want to bring up, there's a reason why, and we should trust their, their, um, their evaluation of La Masia players. Yeah, and of course, you know, things change, situations change, and the, you know, the talent that you're getting at the moment, that changes. And I think you're absolutely right that that era was just a um, a flash, a moment where everything lined up and we got this crop of amazing players, you know, for the ages all at once. Exactly. And, you know, I'm, I'm a 49er fan, American football. And when I was growing up, we had Joe Montana. And it was this golden era of football where we were going to Super Bowls and it was amazing era. And now, you know, in the late 90s, I would say 95 to 2000, we had hard times. And they would always just say, we just need to find the next Joe Montana. And it's like, no shit. You know, it's like, of course, that's all we need to do. But that's impossible <laughs> to find. They're, those are players that just come once in a, in, in a blue moon, you know. And that's, the, that's how this crop of La Masia players were with Busquets, Pedro. Xavi, Iniesta, we'll put Messi in there in that crop, right? PK, like all these players that we have, um, you know, that, that was just a once in a thing. And yeah, I would like to continue to have that connection with that. But also we have to look at what the board thinks is the most important for them. The most important is winning and competing for these titles. So they're going to take their chance with players from other teams that they know are proven talents. Yeah, and also I, I think that the next Joe Montana is currently playing in the NFL, but he happens to be playing for the New England Patriots, don't you think? Correct, I would agree. It's just yeah, but I, I get the point. Yeah, these your your fellow Niners fans, they just say we just need another Joe Montana. You're like, yeah, obviously, you you want to go find him? Yeah, they don't come. They don't just grow in the backyard, and that's you know, if if recruiting young talent, you know, growing these young talent was so easy, then any other team around the world would be able to compete with Barcelona at this level. But it's really impossible to find young players at a young age who are going to be proven talents in the end. And, you know, obviously we have a nice academy that facilitates that. But, you know, again, look at um, when I think of young academies, I think of like Everton in in England. They have a really nice academy. Manchester United, like why haven't they been able to find any stars from their academy? Because it's really difficult to do that. Yeah, I mean, there's always just, you just never know what's going to happen. But also, if you look around the Spanish League or even all the, the major leagues in Europe, you if you can find all the La Masia graduates in there, you see a lot of talent. Like in so many cases, the, a lot of the best players on these teams came out of La Masia. But Barcelona is on another level. They're on another level and also... You know, we already basically always have our 11 spots filled out, and it's really tough to break that in. You know, it's, you're only going to get an opportunity because of injury or because maybe a manager chooses to sell that player. But you're right. There are a lot of La Masia graduates, which is a testament to La Masia's program and ability to, to find these hounds. But also, they're not good enough to be in Barcelona's top 11. So that's just the fact. Yeah, so there they are. They're these great players. I mean, you know, I, I know that you miss Mark Bartra. I still kind of miss Mark Bartra. Or like you look at how Montoya plays for Valencia. I think he's 
a really great player on Valencia, but he just he wasn't wasn't hacking it at Barca. Exactly, he was he wasn't good enough to hack it. Like you said, he wasn't good enough to hack it. And again, when you we play against these teams, like when we play against um, Real Betis and we see Bartra Montoya, we're like, oh yeah, nostalgic about it. But at the same time, I'd rather have Dembele and Coutinho, or I'd rather have Pique and Titi. You know, these are the players I'd rather have. So absolutely, that's just, that's just the facts, Jack. But thank you for that, Carlos. And as you can see, we always enjoy talking about that. I think, you know, from time to time we will get into it. But, uh, you know, once we start talking about it, we'll essentially just say the same thing more or less. So I don't want to do it every week. But I but if you gave me the chance, I totally could talk about it every week and uh, just it'll keep rehashing this and rehashing it. But anyway, moving on, uh, we um talking about what else we're doing in our community segments here. You know, last week we had our interview with Michael Miller, the president of the Montreal Peña, and I got a chance to learn about his Peña and what they've been doing. And next week we'll have an interview with Victor of the Houston Peña. So you want to stay tuned for that next week. Gabriel, you did this interview. I did the last one. Can you give us any uh, any teasers, any uh, any little tidbits that we can look forward to next week? Because I actually haven't even heard it yet. Yeah, I mean, we I talked with Victor actually three times because we, we had some recording difficulties. So I feel like I really know Victor now. I know his whole backstory. But it was a really great talk uh, to learn about, for me personally, about more about the Pena experience and also the process of becoming an official Pena. Um, Victor has a really interesting story about that. And also he talks about his experience about going to his uh, first Barcelona match as well. All right, cool. Well, we will look forward to, I'll look forward to editing that this week and you can all look forward to hearing it next week, next Monday. But also for all of those Peñas out there, official or otherwise, reach out to us. If you have any announcements, big events, uh, if you're looking for members, whatever, get in touch and we will help get the word out. And just like we wanted to talk about what Carlos was asking about the youth players and La Masia, if you just want to get a topic on the show, get in touch. Go to barsatalk.net and drop us a line. Now, speaking of fans, we're trying to get a group of fans together to come to Barcelona for the Valencia match on April 15th this year. So that's coming up. This fan tour that we've set up with the help and organization of XL Sports Tours, it is going to be really great. If you haven't already signed up for this tour, here are the details. First of all, you come to Barcelona April 13th, and your flight is not part of the package, but what the package does include is four nights in a four-star hotel in central Barcelona, the Camp Nou experience, tickets to watch the Valencia match with Gabriel and the Barca Talk contingent. You get to attend a live recording of Barca Talk hosted by Gabriel, and of course you still get plenty of your own free time to explore Barcelona. The whole package is $19.99, $1,999, and there are options to pay in installments if you need. So, to sign up for this trip, go to barsatalk.net, click on the link for the tour, you can't miss it, and enter the code BT18, and we'll see you in Barcelona. Okay, now let's talk about some actual football. Barca B started off with, ugh, that's, that, that sentence didn't make sense, did it? Let me try that again. We're going to start by talking about Barca B. All right, so they had a 1-1 draw with Nastique over the weekend, which at least temporarily has them in 14th in the table. They had a few great chances, honestly, um, They but they only got the one in. And the goal from Nastique was a solid goal. But uh, then again, watching the highlights, it seems to me that defensive discipline isn't really the biggest strength that Barca B have. Uh, did you get a chance to watch this at all or any of the highlights? Yeah, I watched the highlights, and I totally agree. The defensive... Um, issues because they allow the other team so many scoring opportunities. That's why there's a lot of back and forth in the play, which is, you know, 
it can be entertaining, but as a Barca fan, you kind of want a little bit more possession. But again, Brian, they got the points. They've been playing really great in the second half. Um, they've only lost, what, the one match, and they've gotten points in all the other ones. So they're still trading above water, and I think going forward, I think they should be – I mean, the way they've been playing recently with confidence, you know, hopefully they can score on their conversions a little bit more. But, I mean, I'm, I've been pretty pretty impressed with how they've been playing lately. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, just like you pointed out, right after the the sort of pivot from the end of the first half to the second half, they're uh, they're really trending up as far as their performance goes, and I think it does – have to do with something that you said a few episodes ago about the fact that once they've played everyone, they've seen that they can they can hang with the you know the guys who have actually been in the Primera. They're they're adult men, you know, more experienced, a little bit fitter, maybe uh, stronger, all that sort of stuff. Once they figured out that they could actually hang with them, I think that did help their confidence, and they've been putting in overall much better performances than they did in the first half of the season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I just think that, you know, my previous experience playing in football or other sports, you know, when you are moving up on another level, you know, when you're in that 12 to 13, I, like that's what I remember when I was 12 or 13 and I went to the 16 group, you know, it was pretty intimidating at first. You know, you're playing against people who are older and faster and stronger but then once you kind of get the hang of it and you realize that you can play at that level, your confidence goes up and you can just play. You're not focused on the inequalities that you have as a player rather than, okay, we can compete and we'll go forward. And I, th- I feel, you know, just from watching the way they're playing and, the, and obviously the results, I feel like that is a definite um, contribution to the way they've been playing. Yeah. Now, also in this match, uh, this kid, Ricard Puig, had his debut. He's an 18-year-old central midfielder. He brought They just brought him up from uh, Juvenile A. So there you go. Maybe we'll see him in the first team in a few years. Or maybe he'll wind up at Betis or Valencia or something. But I think that is still a good sign that, you know, we can still bring up players from Ju- Juvenile into the B team. He, I didn't see him play much. I don't think he got many minutes but he got the start and it was, you know, so that's a big moment for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, you know, if we can stay up, you know, I think as we talked about in our community segment with La Masia players, I think it's just going to be a better natural connection for our players and it's just going to give them so much invaluable experience. So again, I think I'm really confident that they're going to stay up and just the way they've been trending up and playing, I mean, I I mean, next week they're playing against Oviedo, and last week, or last time they played them, they drew 1-1. I mean, I can see them getting a victory against them this next coming week. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree that they could probably get a win. Uh, The the one aspect about it is that they are going to be playing in Oviedo next week on the 2nd, so they're going to be on the road, and, um, you know, that's always always um, something that you have to deal with. That's always an obstacle. Yeah, and and Oviedo's a tough place to play. They've been playing uh, really well lately. Um, again, it gets in Asturias where the climate isn't the best. It's very unpredictable. And, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they'll be able to get some points out of that. And I, like I said, just the way they've been playing since the um, second half of this table, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the future of Barca B. Yeah, me too. And of course, I was looking at the table and it's crazy. Like right now they're in 14th place, but not even all of the games have been played. And the point difference between 14th and 18th is within three points 
So it's really tight down there in the table. But I still think that they have what it takes to do the one thing that we hope for them to do this year, which is to just stay in the second division. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the overall goal. And I just, you know, these players are, you know, 18 to 21 years old. And having them play in this type of um, format where they have to survive to stay up, I think, makes them more mentally tough. And I think it's just overall just going to help um, our youth players develop even faster and be ready when they're called up into the senior team. Yeah, and of course our theory are, is that as long as the B team can stay in the second division, that does that puts more pressure on them and it teaches them more about how to be mentally strong and how to come back every week and compete in difficult circumstances. And then that's ultimately better training for going to the first team or getting to the Primera division wherever and so that like there's good outcomes that we can expect from that. But let's shift over to FCB Femini. They had a great game. They won 4 to 1 over Valencia on Sunday and they were really spreading the joy around with the goals. Mapi Leon scored the first goal in the 4th minute, getting off to a good start. Then Lika Martin scored in the 34th minute and Marta got another in the 45th. So just before halftime, going into the second half, they pretty much had the game sealed up. And then Natasa Andonova got another one in the 61st in the 61st minute. So they had four goals, four different goal scorers, and they were moments away from keeping that sheet clean. But then uh, Peiro got a goal for Valencia in the 90th minute. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great result. And just like the men, you know, sometimes you need a match like this with an avalanche of goals just to get your confidence going again. You know, in the last couple of matches for both the men and the women, they, they you know, they've been getting the, the results here and there. Um, you know, but not a lot of goal output. And it's really great to see the feminine finally get the avalanche of goals, especially before halftime. Um, I didn't get a chance to see that the highlights, but I mean, I'm just from how you described it. I imagine that uh, Martins was all over the field again, just as she always is. Yeah, probably. And now I didn't see the highlights either because the game actually just ended right before we uh, started recording. And it usually takes a minute or two for them to get some highlights up. But looking at the, uh, at the Twitter feed, because the uh, the women are very on top of live tweeting their games. Uh, the Twitter feed looked amazing. It, <laughs> it sounded great. <laughs> I, I had to use my imagination, but it sounded awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably really great. Um, but taking uh, taking this into account, uh, they're still behind Atletico Madrid after that loss last week to Athletic Bilbao. And Atletico did beat Huelva 4-2 to this week to stay on top of the table. So it is still tight. We're still waiting for that. It really will be a pivotal match between Barca and Atletico in March. So it's coming up very sooner and sooner. Now let's turn to the first team. So the first game that uh, they had this past week was in the Champions League. So, Gabriel, I know you were excited about this. This was against Chelsea, first leg in the round of 16, and it was a 1-1 draw. So just as we'd predicted, uh, there was not a single change in the lineup from the match against Ibar. Chelsea were playing five men at the back in defense, and they, did, they didn't have a striker or a center forward at all in the lineup. Eden Hazard was playing kind of a false nine, which um, I understand from my buddy Connor. That's not really a role that he's strong in, and I think that showed. Uh, but something else I found interesting, we've seen how Rakitic can fill in at the Busquets role, but in this match, both of them were in the starting lineup, and for a good, good portion of the game, they were actually both playing holding roles. First of all, I was very, very nervous before this match. I don't know why I was so nervous. Uh, I went to watch it at a bar with a friend of mine, and just you know the hype and reading Twitter, 
you know, obviously was a big match and was nervous before the onset. Now, the lineup, as you mentioned, this is the same lineup that we had in the Classico. The only difference is we had Vermalen playing for MTT, um, but it's pretty much the formation that we thought and we predicted uh, against Ibar was pretty much the same. Now, Val Green usually goes with this um, lineup on tough away matches because he's more pragmatic on defense. But you have a good point there. You know, both Rakitic and Busquets were playing the holding roles. And it just goes to show, now, you have here five men, but it just felt like they had eight people back there at times. There was no holes anywhere to be had. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was was a total nightmare. Uh, so the overall lineup, again, Ter Stegen in goal, Sergi, PK, Umtiti, Alba in the back, and then Busquets, Pauli, Rakitic, Iniesta, and then up top, Messi and Suarez. So overall, how do you feel about like how they measured on the hustle meter in this match? I thought they looked good, but they did actually really step it up in the last 10 minutes or so of the first half, and that gave me some perspective that in the earlier parts of the first half and then also in a lot of the second half, the hustle meter was actually a little bit low. But I also still think that that's just the nature of these knockout stage games. Yeah, you have a good point. And I think for me, I think... Um, they were not ready for Willian's speed. Now, I just think, you know, Willian had a really great game. For me, if you're a Chelsea fan, he was your man of the match. I think, you know, obviously having the shots and the goal. But I think, you know, if you watch the, you know, the first 30 minutes, um, for example, Busquets, I think he didn't give Willian that much respect. And on a couple of times on the corner kicks, he was left wide open. And to me, that was worrisome. He was getting free. Um, he was faster than I thought he was. Um, and these are the type of things that created problems for us because I knew going into the match that Chelsea were going to be more defensive and counter, which is better for us because that allows us with possession. And in this match, I think we had close to 80% match uh, possession in this match. Yeah, we did have the possession. And I, I wanted to talk to you about the possession because in the past, you've talked about how sometimes Barcelona ha- falls into this trap sort of of you know, just having the possession and just going side to side with it and not getting forward. And I was watching them play. And of course, you know, they're not getting goals. They're not getting many chances or shots. But I was still looking at it thinking, you know, they're not just going side to side here. They really are trying to get forward. But like you said, Chelsea, they're just they're filling in every possible hole. They're trying to cover as much space as they can and and they just can't get through. So I think there was a really honest effort and and a hard effort to to move to not just have possession and move it sideways, but to use possession to get it forward, and it just it was not lining up. I mean, for me, I think you know when we played in the Bernabeu in the Clasico in December, and we had this lineup, I understood it because obviously Real Madrid has the firepower, and they're not really concerned of putting eight people in the back and trying to always counter like Chelsea did. Now, the problem with our formation, especially in the first half, is we were possessing the ball, and I know. Obviously, the philosophy of of possessing the ball is that they don't have the ball, so they can't score. And I get that. But at the same time, we have to be able to take risks because Chelsea is not that good. I mean, I could tell that they were willing to give us the ball back very easily. And why not take some shots? Why not take some more risks? Because, yeah, obviously, we may lose the ball on a goal kick or anything like this. But at least we can get the ball back quickly because Chelsea was not interested in possessing the ball or trying to string an attack. They were only really concerned about countering us when they had numbers. And I think, for me, that is the most frustrating part still 
is that we continue to, yeah, we go side to side, but at least take a shot. Let's take some risks because in the first half, Chelsea had three shots on goal essentially, and they were much closer than anything we had where we had about 90% of the possession in the first half. Yeah, and we got lucky on those chances in the first half. Both from William, both came off the posts. Exactly. And so what happens if he scores on that first uh, first goal? Then obviously we wake up and we start to try to, to take more risk. But I also think that... You know, obviously, Val Green made the adjustment at halftime, but I think going into this match, I think we should have set up better or we should have set up in a 4-3-3 to try to fill in all the areas on the field because they had eight people on defense. Now, we only had Suarez and Messi up top, essentially, and then we were overlapping. And I think that played to Chelsea's advantage because they knew that we couldn't do much from outside. Right, yeah, that's a good point. Now, speaking about risk, uh, I want to point out, this is a, a good thing, a thing that I expect you to be very happy and proud about, about, which is that Suarez did not get called offside once. He had zero offsides in this game. In fact, Barcelona didn't have a single offside call, or maybe one towards the end. Uh, but then again, Chelsea only had one themselves, and like Hazard was offside once in the first half. But it just wasn't that kind of match, really. Neither side was taking many risks as far as that goes, and neither of them was stretching forward or trying to stretch out much, and Chelsea weren't really playing the offside trap. They were more concerned with putting up the bus and the wall, right? So there really wasn't much risk of offside, but still, Suarez wasn't offside. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I think, you know, like I said, I think... We gave Chelsea too much respect, you know, going into this match. I think we should have, for example, I would have much rather had Sergio Roberto playing up in the midfield and having Semedo on defense and taking Pauly out and playing a 4-3-3. I mean, we got a, a comment from a listener from Michael at BL1NN where he kind of talked about this and he was talking about Semedo has a speed to hang with anyone Chelsea puts on top and Sergi offers creativity in the midfield. Um, how much is a dip in Pauly's form due to the fact that he's been playing competitive football nonstop for almost a year now because he's talking about since he joined from the Chinese uh, season as well. You know, as we've highlighted, you know, I like Pauly. I think he's a great, you know, good addition to our team. I almost used great. I did not use I didn't want to use great. I want to say good addition. Um, but I think <laughs> but I think Pauly benefits us most when he comes in as a second half substitute with 20 minutes left in the game. Now, for example, in this type of match, I think if he came in later, I think he would have gave us a, a bolst in effort and hustle, and we don't have to depend on him playmaking. I think Sergio Roberto playing in midfield or in the 4-3-3 top, I think would have really helped us because uh, Sergio Roberto can possess the ball, he's creative, and he can make those really good quality crosses. Yeah, and, and of course, now with Semedo injured, we don't have a choice but to put Sergi in the back, which is unfortunate. But speaking of Pauly, you know, he, there were only a couple of decent chances in the first half in this game for us. And the first one was in the 16th minute from Pauly. And this ball from Iniesta in for Messi, it had all the edge, precision, speed, weight you could possibly want. And then Messi gives this beautiful flick over... For Pauly to head it in with an open header, and he missed it. You know, he was trying to sneak it into the corner of the goal, and his aim it, his aim was off. It went wide. But just it was such a it's such a close chance and such a beautiful and great and inventive buildup, and Pauly just, you know, couldn't put it away. Yeah, and, and this type of game, you know, where the opportunities are so few, you have to really concentrate and put them on target. And this, the way he headed it, he should have, like, 
use the flick head as opposed to going forward with it. So this moment where he misses the target with his head was a microcosm of the way he performed in this match. And the way he played in midfield reminded me of in basketball when you have a power forward or a center, you know, back in the day, I want to say in the 90s, trying to lead a fast break where he wasn't comfortable with the ball. He didn't know what to do. So what did he do? He went all the way left and then dropped the ball off to Messi. Like he was not creative. He didn't feel comfortable uh, with his back to goal, holding the ball. And in this type of match, especially when they had eight people, having Sergio Roberto instead of uh, Paulinho or, I don't know, someone else a little bit more creative to hold the ball would have benefited us more in this match. Well, you know, something that came up in the Girona match, even though he was on the bench and he came on later in the game, is that he's actually been playing for the past two to three weeks with a hairline fracture in his foot. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, so, I mean, I'm wondering why he's even playing. I mean, and... yeah, exactly. I mean, that those things hurt. You know, it may sound minor, but when you have that type of pressure on your foot, you know, you have all your weight on it, you are not comfortable running. And to me, again, I think this match would have been perfectly suited for Semedo because of his physical attributes. And then rotating uh, Roberto in the middle or up top, man, we could have really had some really good opportunities, much better, and we would have not lost the ball, especially like on a couple of times we had a break and Paulinho just didn't know where to go. And he just kind of just dropped the ball off and didn't do anything. So again, I think it just goes to so that for me, he's just a better second-half sub type of player. Yeah, but also I, I do think that that fracture situation is, is is part of it. But in general, I still agree with you that he is he is great for coming in and closing out a game. But then there was also the 38th-minute uh, chance for PK on the corner, another close chance that, just, that went wide. Uh, he said he was complaining about a little bit of holding on that play. What did you think about that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, again, we, we tried to take opportunity of the corner kick. There was holding, but... The referee's only going to call that in this type of match unless he really sees it and it's really intentional. And so, again, they're, they're usually going to give the advantage to the defense. But again, we had so much possession, we should have been able to put more shots on goal and really tested Courtois in goal. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, also in that first half, Chelsea made, they did make some threatening moves, even with their, you know, dropping back and countering tactic that they were taking. And like in the 30th minute, Rakitic took a yellow card, bringing down William on his way toward goal. And it was one of those plays where, you know, you hate it when the other team does it to you, but you're kind of glad when one of your guys does it. I'm not glad. It drives me crazy, Brian. No, no. it drives me crazy because what is the percentage that he's going to continue to go forward and link up and have an amazing goal at that moment? I mean, it's very low, right? And to me, all Rakitic had to do was maybe, okay, clutch a little bit, but run with him and direct him in a certain direction that you want to go because the defense was coming to help. And for me, I just I can't stand it because then Rakitic gets a card for that play. It stops the play. But again, we didn't have support in that play. And so all you have to do is just ride him and know that you're behind him. And he's not going to do much. I mean, it's really difficult to convert that on that play, especially when someone's riding your ass and you're trying to decide where to go. I mean, it's really hard to do that. You're sprinting with the ball. The ball's unpredictable in that moment because, you know, again, the field, the field conditions, you have someone riding your back. I mean, the success rate is so low that why foul? Right. No, I, that's a good point. And also, even if he does get forward and even if he gets a shot off, and even if that shot is on target, you have Ter Stegen in goal. Exactly. That's that's the other thing. And also, William has to put a, you know, uh, 
an, a miraculous type of shot to get it on target and to go past Ter Stegen at that moment of where he was on the field and to go forward. I mean, Rakitic was not so behind that William was breaking out on him. You know, it's so much harder to run with a ball than without. And Rakitic was closing in. And all you know, all Rakitic had to do was just to make his presence known that he was there. And William didn't really have that much uh, options going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, it wasn't a boring first half, even if it was scoreless. But it did especially seem like Chelsea were playing with the draw as the worst result they would allow. And uh, Barcelona had the possession like we've talked about. And and I didn't think that, that the play was disproportionately sideways in the first half. No, I, I agree. And, you know, for me, again, it just I was just getting frustrated because we were not taking those risks when we had so much possession. You know, it's just almost like um, it's almost I don't know if you know, but um, before in college basketball, they didn't have a shot clock. And now there is. There's a 24-second shot clock where you have to, you know, shoot the ball in 24 seconds. But in the 80s, there was no shot clock. So you can basically string 80 passes together if you wanted to and then take a shot. And that's what this reminded me of where we had so many passes going side to side, left and right, but nothing was happening. You know, we had no movement inside because Suarez was the only striker up there and Messi was trying to play make. And for me, it just... I think from the you know the first 15 minutes, I was hoping that Val Green was going to make a, a major adjustment or a substitution, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, well, so in the second half, uh, William, speaking of, uh, he actually got the ball in the goal. He opened up the scoring in the sexy in the 62nd minute, and he honestly he really worked it beautifully. He got the ball unmarked just outside the box, uh, but how he touched it outside and and set himself up and let it rip into the bottom corner. I mean, it really was actually a very nice goal on his part. I want to, you know, congratulate him, uh, even if I'm shaking my fist at him at the same time. I mean, I think it was just really bad defense on our part. We let him wide open at the top of the box. You just cannot allow that. Busquets was slow to cover, and William got a great shot off through traffic. I mean, it's just funny when you watch the replay. If Rakitic goes to ground, maybe he covers. Uh, almost Umtiti goes to ground as well. He may get a piece of it, but um, it was a really great shot from William. Obviously, the two prior shots he had before, he went right post, left post, and his third shot, he, he knew the angle and he had a good shot. But I, I think it was just really bad defense on our part to not cover William at the top of the box at the get-go. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a breakdown in, in the defensive end of things. But getting back to what you were saying about uh, the substitutions and the adjustments that Val Green made, uh, he did put Vidal in for Pauly, which I think was a very good sub because, like we've already mentioned, Pauly wasn't playing especially well. He wasn't playing especially poorly, but he wasn't really playing very well. Uh, he wasn't at his best, and maybe this this fracture situation might have something to do with it. But I do think also that Vidal was a good choice for trying to get the play forward more than Pauly was, or would. It had more to do with... Uh, Vidal occupying that right corner as opposed to Pauly having a bad or really bad match. Um, I think it was a really great um, uh, tactical adjustment for Val Green because, you know, I was calling for them, especially after the first 30 minutes, that we needed more attacking presence. Either either put Paco in to pair up with Suarez or put uh, Vidal or someone else as a right winger up at the top. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. But then... Luckily, in the 75th minute, we got a goal from Messi. Chelsea gave it up, and Iniesta was charging in for the ball, getting in and cutting it back in for Messi, and Messi just with a beautiful tap in. You know, one of the first things you ever learn 
uh, growing up playing football is never to pass in the center when you're a defensive you know player like that like that is so dangerous to do and he did a bad pass it was supposed to be a pass to Fabregas Fabregas if you see in the replay he, he kind of puts his hands up like is that for me or what what's going on here you know and yeah and if you watch the play Iniesta reads the play because obviously Iniesta is Matrix <laughs> Jr. as well so he sees the pass come he anticipates amazingly beats Aspilicueta. I don't know what Aspilicueta was doing on the ground on that play. All he had to do was stay up, and Iniesta would have been caught, right? He either had to go left or right, and it would have been as open play. But thank God he went to ground. Iniesta saw, took a snapshot, looks for Messi. Messi hits it. I mean, a perfect goal. And I was screaming with other people in the bar, high-fiving. It was a crucial. I was telling my friend I was watching because she uh, was new to Champions League, and I was telling her, you know, uh, we need to get this away goal. This away goal is so huge. We just need to get this one. And Messi scores, and I was just super, super excited. Yeah. So overall, it, w- it was a physical game. Uh, Busquets also wound up taking a yellow card after he cut down Hazard to ensure that Chelsea didn't get another goal. But aside from some other pretty standard fouls, it, w- it wasn't a cynical match. Uh, Chelsea were clogging up the space in front of their goal. And it really just took a, a mistake on their part for Barcelona to score. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, for me... For me, going forward, I hope that we are at, at the Camp Nou. We play a four-three-three. I think um, with the amount of space that we have at the Camp Nou and the way that I believe that Chelsea is going to play again with these eight people in, the, in defending, I think we can exploit those those spaces. So I hope going forward we go to the four-three-three. I was really um, uh, happy, glad that Val Green was able to make that tactical adjust, adjustment of putting Vidal because that really changed the match. We were. Finally, we were looking risky. We were taking shots. We looked like we were going to make a goal. And obviously, Messi broke that streak of not scoring against Chelsea. So that was another great thing going forward. Yeah. Now, before we get into talking about how, or getting more into talking about how uh, we want to see some changes for the next leg of this tie, let's go over man of the match. Who was your man of the match for this game? So I've been, I've been, you know, I was thinking, you know, Suarez. Um, Umtiti, but I think I'm going with Busquets. I mean, I saw really good um, analysis from Gary Lineker, Rio Ferdinand, um, who else was it? Frank Lampard and um, Steven Gerrard on the ITV network after the game. And the way they were talking about Busquets, again, I think it's sometimes you, we as, you know, we, we see him, you know, weekly and we were in awe of his play, but in this match, the way he does it flawlessly, you know, he had the one mistake against William to allow that goal. But for me, I think he, the way he was able to hold the possession, be the pivot, um, the passing he was able to do, for me, he was the man of the match other than Messi. What did you think of his performance in this match? Oh, of course. I mean, I thought it was beautiful. And, you know, he does that thing that only he can do. And again, it be, it, it becomes normal for us because we see him week in and week out. We sort of, we know him, we know what to expect from him. But, for instance, if you're a an EPL fan, right, if you're a Chelsea fan or any EPL you know, fan, you see Busquets play. Or what's really crazy is that you don't see Busquets play, and yet somehow everything is working for Barcelona, and you wonder why. And it's because of Busquets. So I think that's an excellent choice. Yeah, I mean, let me just read off some of his stats, right? So he had 139 total passes with his success rate of 92 
which is just insane. You know, I, I still can't, you know, Brian, I played last week and I maybe had 30 passes with a success rate of 60%, you know, and, <laughs> and I had less people to worry about slower players, you know, and he, you know, this type of match against Chelsea, where there's tighter spaces, he's making such accurate passes, you know, the way he connects from the defense and transitions to the attacking third is something that, you know, once he's gone, we're really going to miss. It's just something that he does so flawless. And as we watch every week, we just take it for granted. But again, when I was watching the commentary of these four guys, these four, you know, elite players that played in their time, the way they were gushing about Busquets, it reminded me how good of a performance he had overall in this match. And so, again, he's my man of the match. Who was your man of the match other than Messi? I have to go with Iniesta because, you know, one of the best things about Iniesta, and there are a lot of great things to choose from, is how he shows up in these important games against stiff competition. Now, like you said, like Chelsea are not that great, but it's still the Champions League. It's still a knockout tie. They're still playing at Stamford Bridge, and they still are a top team. So this is a stiff, you know, stiff competition. And this is the same guy who kept his head, saw the chance, and took it that took Chelsea out of the Champions League in 2009, and the same guy who got the winning goal in the final seconds of the World Cup. You know, his ability to keep himself in the game, keep his head cool, put in the extra effort without losing his head or getting desperate about it is truly priceless to me. And his work on the goal that brought the game level was, by comparison, like a no-pressure kind of play when you compare that with some of the other things that he's done. But the fact that he's there, he makes him my man of the match, other than Messi. Yeah, I think it's a good choice. Again, he had um, some good good stats here. I mean, he had a 90% pass accuracy game compared to Busquets 92. So with those two guys passing as accurate as that, you know, a lot of times it's just trying to find those holes. And, and the way he played, and again, the way he gives the team confidence and the way he read that play for that goal was just remarkable. Again, that's why he's on, you know, that's why he's Don Iniesta, right? He just has these, this, you know, his Matrix Junior kind of anticipation of that play to read it and then also to find Messi perfectly. I mean, the way he rolled the ball to Messi with that kind of speed and the way Messi could easily just shoot it was just amazing. So uh, a good choice for me for Iniesta as well. Now, the next leg is going to be on March 14th, and that's going to be in between league matches with Malaga before and Athletic Bilbao after. So that's going to be a tough time in the schedule. It's going to be a little bit of a crunch there. But at least they are getting a little bit of rest now without any Copa del Rey until late April for the final. So Chelsea have to come to the Camp Nou, and Barcelona have that crucial away goal, which, as you pointed out, was so important to get. And our defense has been really good so far this year, and I think we can hold them scoreless at home. Yeah, I, I agree. And I just really hope in this second leg that we are more risk-taking um, just to get the win as opposed to just gain the one or two goals. I think we can really put them away with a lot of goals, um, especially if we play in a 4-3-3. And I would even say if, even if we had Vidal as the top right wing in the 4-3-3, that's going to give us more balance on the left and the right side. So I really hope we do the 4-3-3. And I really hope we can uh, put Chelsea out in the second leg. Yeah, so, I mean, we've had such a good defense that I do think we could keep it scoreless. So they don't have to score if they can keep the sheet clean. But, uh, of course, it would be better for them to win, to at least score one, maybe even two goals. And uh, I fully support you in this uh, prescription, right, to go more with the 4-3-3, get Vidal in there, get more action up front to try and get one to two goals. 
and go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, why not go for the four nothing win? You know, instead of the one zero win, let's let's really put Chelsea out. Make the, you know, if we score the first goal, they're going to have to chase the match, and that's really going to open up holes in the back and really allow us to even get more opportunities to score. So, I'm really hoping with you know Vidal playing in the with the right wing position, I think that's really going to help us uh, be more attacking and more risk taking going forward. All right, now let's turn to La Liga. So, talking about this last weekend, Real Madrid beat Leganes three to one midweek and Alaves four nothing at the weekend, jumping into third place past Valencia with 51 points. Go Real Madrid. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) You know, obviously, I live here, and the press and the media are just fawning over how great they're playing again. And the BBC is back, especially yesterday, with uh, Benzema having a hat trick. Uh, You know, like we were talking earlier, uh, Brian, gag me with a spoon. You know, like, they... They're still concentrating on Champions League. I really hope, I really hope, please, please, baby Jesus, that um, Paris can knock them out. I mean, they're going to have a tough task, but I think they can do it, especially with uh, Marcelo's injury. Um, I don't know if he's going to be able to play. And also, Cruz and Mondrix are also nursing injuries. So hopefully Paris will be able to knock them out. But yeah, uh, yesterday's beatdown from Real Madrid against Alaves. Uh, you know, comfortable win for the for Real Madrid. Yeah, and of course, you know, they're escalating in the table now, but we more or less expected they would, but they're still just so many points behind from behind the top. It's it's not a foregone conclusion, but it, they would have to really try really hard, and Barcelona would have to falter uh, quite a bit for Real Madrid to, you know, get past that. But anyway, as far as the other matches go from La Liga this weekend, Valencia, Atletico, uh, those are happening after we are done recording this on the weekend. So Gabriel is going to be catching you up on Facebook Live on Monday, so you can check that out. Yeah, I don't have a time set up at this current moment, but I will be, I think, around 2 o'clock Madrid time um, or even 3 o'clock just because I'm going to be playing football tomorrow, Brian. I'm going to be reliving my past again. I'm going to try to be playing football more often and since i have mondays off i'm going to take advantage of that so i am playing tomorrow 11 a.m local time here in madrid and then i'll do the facebook live after that when i get home oh that's fantastic you know now that the weather is picking up and you've got this app where you can find a pickup game you're playing more football that's fantastic yes i'm 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 reliving my my glory days and uh hopefully i'll have a better performance than i did last week so at what point like how old were you when you really peaked as a football player When, when were you at your best 13 (laughs) Nice, (laughs) because uh when i was 13 i was almost as tall as i am now but i was definitely more uh i was faster than most kids and i had more ability to pass but then um i got fatter so i wasn't as fast anymore so that that's what happened (laughs) yeah i could sympathize all right but let's talk about this la liga match against hirona (laughs) all right see i just i just leaned into it that's what i do there there you go I thought we were. No, I thought we were playing so, against Girona. Girona, <laughs> my Girona. The result was six one, as you may or may not know. I mean, this was just they just murdered him. It was fantastic, and uh, there were some exciting changes in the lineup. It was the first time Coutinho and Dembele both started, with Coutinho having just signed, of course, and Dembele having had those injury problems. So this was. The first time we got to see them start together. And Semedo got the cap, obviously. Uh, so I know you were happy about that. But, of course, you know he wound up taking that hamstring injury. Uh, but on top of that, knowing that Coutinho and Dembele are attacking players, I was expecting to see either Busquets and Rakitic lining up together again, like in the Chelsea match, another 4-4-2, 
or we would actually see a 4-3-3 in this. Yeah, and we, we saw something a little bit different. So on the telecast, they posted a 4-1-2-3 lineup that we were playing, which I think, you know, uh, with Rakitic and Coutinho uh, providing support behind um, Dembele, Suarez, and Messi. So I think at the at the onset, that's how we were looking. But again, towards the beginning of the match, especially when we gave up that early goal, um, Busquets and Rakitic were holding together. But I was really excited about the lineup just because Dembele and Coutinho were playing. And I knew Girona were not going to park the bus. I knew they were going to try and just play against us. And when that happens, we were going to have a lot of uh, opportunities to score goals. Yeah, and you know, for a newly promoted team, they have done really well. They're in the top of the table. And, well, it also helps that Man City essentially owns half of them and a good number of their players are actually kind of like, uh, you know, Man City's young recruits, like the, uh, like Mafeo is the one who comes to mind most strongly. But in any case, the game got off to a bit of a um, tough start for us. Uh, in the second minute, Girona opened up the scoring. Ter Stegen came off his line, but I think he came off his line a little bit too late. He lost the angle when Porto got past him, and then uh, Porto just put in a really great finish, actually, to... Uh, put it in goal off of, I think, both posts. Is that right? Yeah, it was off both posts. It reminded me of the David Villa World Cup goal where he hit both posts on his goal. I think it was against Honduras or one of these teams. But um, I have here in my notes, it just looked like Ter Stegen and Titi were like the first time they were playing together. You know, like they, they, they had bad communication. But also if I have one complaint against Ter Stegen through this year, I just wish he would come more forcefully out to meet one-on-one challenges and I know he's had a great year and this is just a, a minor thing but especially on this play if he would have came out more forcefully on this play I think the goal could have been avoided but it was a really great finish by Porto and two minutes in Hirona was up one nothing. yeah so like not a great opener and it, it really was a rare instance of mistakes on Ter Stegen and Umtiti's parts for this year exactly I mean they've been pretty pretty solid um, as our defensive battery back there um, up the middle but again um, you know I knew especially the way they were playing the way it was already going to be back and forth because within those two minutes or three minutes we already had um, two opportunities to score and we were going back and forth so I knew we were going to be able to have uh, the equalizer sooner than later and we sure did right you know in the very next minute third minute goal from Suarez it was a fantastic through ball from Messi for Suarez in stride and you got to hand it to Suarez for staying onside for that ball. In fact, he was only called offside once in the 83rd minute after all of the goals had been scored. I mean, this match, Messi was diming. He was assisting everywhere. I mean, he looked, for example, it reminded me of, of a basketball player just leading a fast break. Uh, he was able to find the holes in Hirona's defense. And especially since they didn't park the bus and they were pressing a little bit high, uh, we were able to find spaces which allowed Suarez to run onto it and not allow him to have so many offsides. So in this third minute, it was a really great finish. Um, you know, Messi found him in stride, and Suarez was able to finish with his left foot. Yeah, and Messi is now the top assist provider in La Liga history. Yeah, what did you do this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> I watched uh, watched some TV. I mean, this is this goes back again to the debate of the Ronaldo Messi debate, right? I just I, I this infuriates me because I saw a quote from Michael Essien, the formal Chelsea player, who think he thinks that Ronaldo is a more quote unquote complete player. Based on what? Yeah, exactly. He says that he said that uh, Ronaldo is a better playmaker. Um, he's better in the air, and I give him Ronaldo is better in the air. 
but free kick wise, he's also like a foot taller. Yeah, exactly. But Messi is. I would take Messi over free kicks. Um, obviously, playmaking, and now he's La Liga's leading assist getter. I mean, please. I mean, not only is he going to be the leading goal. I mean, he's the leading goal scorer, but now he's the leading assist. Complete player. Sen, go go watch some more football, my friend. Yeah. Well, speaking of which. In the 30th minute, Messi got his own goal, and it was amazing. He was double-teamed in the box. It looked like he'd missed his chance, honestly, but he dribbled back through, made his own space, and he, he put it in with his left. It was a great ball from Rakitic over the top to get it to Suarez, and then there was just the, the touch-out to Messi that led to to that amazing play where where he dribbled back in, towards the center of goal, got the space, and put it in. Yeah, it was a great play, and you know everyone knows he's left-footed, and he wants to keep pushing left. And it was funny because there was maybe three or four moments where he could have shot the ball, but he didn't. He just kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and the defense guessed wrong as well. He found his... His uh, his his moment, you know, the the hole to to shoot the ball, shoots the ball, and then just finds the goal again. I mean, just <laughs> the way he just does it. And again, if you watch the replay, look at the defender, how much taller he is. I just I'm just in awe of that. Always, it's just it's great. Messi just finds the hole and just uh, converts that goal. And then he got another one seven minutes later on a free kick by putting it under the wall as they jumped up. I love those. Those are those are some of my favorite free kicks. Uh, just for how sneaky they seem. Yeah, I mean, obviously it just seems as though he saw that maybe in the scouting report that they always jump maybe because he did it as if he knew they were going to jump. And when I watched the replay, it's just a perfectly placed ball. Again, Messi with another free kick goal this year. He's, you know, he's dangerous not only in the free kicks, obviously scoring the goal like he did in the 30th minute, but also assisting. I mean, this is... Uh, this first half so far, as we're recapping this, is a perfect messy half. I mean, an assist, a goal, and a free kick goal. I mean, what else do you want? Uh, nothing. I want nothing more. <laughs> and yet we got more. <laughs> in in the forty fourth minute, we got a we got a tic tac goal. Samedo started it off with a run inside to Messi, out to Coutinho, back in for Suarez, tapped in. It was four to one, and it was the run from Semedo was fantastic. It actually was a very Sergi Roberto esque run from Semedo for me. I mean, I think this was Semedo's first best match. Um, you know, I think he was more confident going forward, and also it started off in the first minute or so. I don't know if you remember Dembele gave him a flick pass over everyone, where Semedo just ran onto it and had an opportunity. But I think Semedo, this was his best match. Unfortunately, he's going to be out now for another five weeks. But yeah, this goal was was amazing. It was almost like that first MSN goal where they took that picture, you know, where they're hugging kind of a thing. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Um, this, this, yeah, this reminded me of that where, you know, Messi starts it, finds Coutinho, Coutinho to Suarez, and it was just, it was just brilliant. But again, it goes back to Girona's defense that they didn't park the bus. They were looking to play against Barcelona. And, you know, you can see the difference from Wednesday's match where they had eight people and Hirona's defense where they were looking to play. Yeah, but of course, when you're looking to play, there is, of course, the chance that you'll open up those spaces and then you'll get scored on. But I, I did appreciate their um, the, the attitude that they came to play. It's more entertaining, really, for me. And uh, knowing that Barcelona can can win in such circumstances is, is also good. Now, uh, talking about the second half, PK, uh, he took a knock pretty early in the second half, and it took a few minutes, but Vermalen came on for him in the 63rd minute, and really, you know, he he hurt his knee a couple weeks ago, and, you know, the initial prognosis was that he'd be out for a little while, 
and then it went down. It, it was like two weeks or a month, and then it was down to one week, and then he was playing in the very next match. So now that Vermalen is is healthy again, I don't you think we should just give PK a rest? Yeah, I mean, especially at halftime, I would have, you know, obviously we're we saw that he got injured after, and we we say, oh, we could have just taken him off earlier. But I would have taken him off at the three nothing, especially or three one point, um, and put Vermalen, especially if he's one hundred percent healthy, because. I was comfortable enough with our defense and obviously with the cushion we have. But again, PK on that on that play, his knee, I mean, his leg goes back really awkwardly and he was in a lot of pain. And in this type of match, obviously we wanted to have a goal avalanche. I as I put in Twitter, I was I wanted to see a lot of goals in this match, but also I wanted to avoid injuries at all costs and Look, we lost Tomato, and PK could have been more seriously hurt. Yeah, so, I mean, I, and we're almost lucky that he wasn't more seriously hurt. But, yeah, I think that Vermellon should be seeing more time in the future and, and let PK really recoup. But let's talk about the next goal, because this was a beautiful shot. It was that it was a 66-minute goal from Coutinho, and wow, you know, he, he got turned away from goal by the defender, but he just... I thought it was really cute, actually, how he just he just circled back around, left his man on his back heel, and let it rip from that same spot that he likes. And if, I think if there's one weakness about Coutinho, well, I don't know. I'm not I'm doing a full scouting report. I'm just saying he definitely likes to shoot from that spot. So when he's in that spot, you got to be you know you got to be careful about it. But he got open in that spot and just let it rip, and it was beautiful. Yeah, at this moment, I was uh, cooking dinner. And, you know, I had the audio of the match. And as soon as I hear Coutinho and then it's gone, I was like, come running in. And sure enough, when I saw the replay, I mean, this is the most typical Coutinho goal you'll ever see. I mean, from that point of the box, the way he pinged it perfectly. I mean, it was a golazo. For me, going forward, I'm really excited to have this in our attacking arsenal because now the defenders know that we can shoot from that point of the box or he can just lay it off to Messi or to Suarez. So now that gives us more diversity in our attacking. But again, that was just, if you look at on YouTube, he scores maybe 80% of his goals from that angle and he has that angle down to a science and the goalie had no shot at that uh, shot. Yeah, yeah, there was just no chance he was getting to it. Now, so at this point, we're 5-1 up, and then Busquets got a little bit of rest when Pauly came on for him, even with, with that fracture in his foot. So that that's nice. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, we, unfortunately, we we had to use the injury um, sub for Semedo, but at least we got Busquets a rest, and then also, um, who else did we give a rest to? I think we, oh yeah, PK, when we put in Vermaelen. So, um, you know, this type of match, you would like to bring in some of those subs to get more playing time. And, uh, yeah, you know, Pauly, for me, is the perfect second-half type of player, and he did fine for the Busquets role. Yeah. Now, then there was the last goal, another one from Suarez in the 76th minute, and Rakitic with the through ball to Dembele, and Dembele with the cross, and another tap-in for Suarez. This was Suarez's first hat-trick since August 2016, and another beautiful setup. Yeah, I mean, for me, this match was crucial for Dembele. I think he... Um, started to really have some more confidence playing with Messi and finding the link-up play with Suarez. And especially on this goal, if you watch the replay, his pass, if he hops it over the defender's foot and it finds Suarez perfectly. And at this moment of the game, it was already a rout, but I think it's really great for his confidence. Um, you know, for me, I think Dembele had one of his best matches. And I think going forward, as I said, it's just going to help with our attacking. He He's a, a really good right winger. 
with his speed, his creativity. I just want him to shoot a little bit more. Um, and maybe he also needs to get some new cleats because, man, this boy slips so much. I've never seen someone slip so much <laughs> on a dry pitch. Yeah, so he, yeah, he might need to trade out his studs. Ser- I mean, seriously, because how many times does he do that one move where he cuts back and then he falls? I mean, it seems to, like it seems as though he's doing that more often than not. And even the commentators were saying that that he looks like uh, a baby deer. <laughs> just learning to walk. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he. They were saying, you know, a couple times you can see the potential of what he can do, but more often than not, he just he just looks nervous at times. Uh, another time where he should have had a shot on goal, um, he didn't. He cut it back. I even tweeted, um, you know, shouldn't he shoot on goal? This type of thing. But for me, with his assist and the play that he had a couple times, um, he definitely added to our attack. Uh, last night and I think going forward it's going to help him with his confidence and just find his groove but I think he just needs to talk to the equipment manager to get some new cleats <laughs> yeah I think so and I you know I'm optimistic that he's going to deliver because again you can see all that potential I just think that he needs some more time you know he's had a lot of those injury issues this season uh, and he is only 20 years old so I just think he needs a little bit more time to get sharper to get some more confidence but I'm optimistic that he's going to deliver on just about all of that potential eventually. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just imagine if he came into the Chelsea match, how much more dangerous we would be in that right wing position. Obviously, Vidal did a great job, but Vidal has a ceiling, you know, and Dembele, we both feel is more talented and faster, and he would have been so much more dangerous being in that right wing. But uh, I agree with you. I just think... You know, him going forward, um, playing more matches with uh, Messi and Suarez is just going to give him more confidence and hopefully he'll be able to score some more goals as well. Yeah. Now let's do man of the match because we actually had the same man of the match in this game and it was Suarez. Yeah. I mean, I also would say maybe Suarez, Messi, Coutinho for this men of the match. You know, Uh, I think it was a really kind of breakout game for the three of them as a group, as a attacking unit. But if I had to pick one, I think Suarez. I think Suarez from the get-go, he did a lot of things. He also hit the post. He could have had a fourth goal. Um, I think he was, you know, he's been playing out of his mind since the Classico. Um, He's been having almost a goal a game. And again, he had a hat trick today, but he was looking to pass. His passing has been much better as well um, with his link-up play, and especially on that goal where the Messi-Coutinho-Suarez connection was brilliant. So I think Suarez had a great game. Uh, any other I mean, any other things that you saw in this match for Suarez? Well, you know, now that you mention it, just everything that's sort of shifted in his game since the Clasico, you know, he, his positioning has been better. His passing, his touch have been better. His um, number of offside calls has been lower. Just in general, I, he's just been so much, so much better. And... It's funny, you know, whenever a striker, especially an elite center forward striker like him has, you know, a little dip in form, suddenly everyone is, you know, grabbing their heads and pulling their hair out and saying, like, is this the end of of Suarez? Like, well, yeah, maybe, but maybe not, because everyone goes through these these kinds of oscillations, especially I feel like especially center forwards go through these these oscillations of, you know, high high performance and like slightly lower performance and of course by comparison it seems like oh they're really on the decline like this is it for them but uh, I don't think this is it for Suarez at all you know like he he had kind of a rough start to the season 
uh, and a little disappointing for us. And of course, we were worried at the time. But as he's shown, you know, he was just he was in a, a bit of a valley and now he's going through a peak. And I hope that he stays on that peak for the rest of the season. Yeah. And also, I think he plays much better when he has the right wing um, helping him out or Paco playing in the four four two because I think that his combination play allows him more spacing and he can get more shots off. Now, in the Chelsea match where he was the lone striker, I think – I wouldn't say he struggles, but he just – it's harder for him to get a shot off because then the defense can really focus on him. Two or three guys can focus. So, for example, in this match, he had Dembele pushing and stringing the defense along. It allows him to link up play with Messi. And obviously, as we noted, he was only offside one time, which allows him to you know, not only find the flow of the game better, but also, you know, again, he had a hat trick. I mean, I, he's just been playing really awesome lately. Yeah. Now let's look ahead for what's next up in La Liga because there's actually two matches coming up in the next week because with the Copa del Rey all done except for the final and then the Champions League having just been played, the schedule is a little tighter in La Liga so they're you know trying to cram some matches in in one week. So first up, match day 26 against Las Palmas on Thursday, March 1st at the Estadio Gran Canaria. So in the first leg at the Camp Nou, we won 3 nothing. I think this would be a good opportunity to give Yerimina some time with Umtiti, especially with, you know, PK's knee and wanting to give him some, you know, some actual recovery time. Or even go Yerimina Vermalen. I mean, why not just pair them up as the defensive back and have Busquets, I think, would be okay with that. I mean, they're both very quality uh, defenders, and especially Vermalen with his experience so far this season with the matches. I mean, why not give Umtiti a break as well? But I understand, like, if you want to... Have if you're not feeling super confident, you want to have Umtiti. I get that, but you know Las Palmas. They've been. I think they've had two or three managers this season. Uh, right now they have Paco Jimenez right now, and he's kind of a nut job. And I mean they've been playing a little bit better, um, not allowing as many goals, but still I think we should be able to get some points here um, and get that uh, three points hopefully. And I think you know especially if we play Dembele, Suarez, and Messi. I mean we could we could be looking at another route. Yeah. Well, also, Jordi Alba took his fifth yellow card in that Girona match. So Dina is going to be the man for for that match on left back, almost certainly. So if we have Yerimina and Vermalen and Dina in the back, then that back line starts looking considerably weaker, I think, and less chemistry. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe Digne, Umtiti, um, Vermalen maybe, and then um, your boy Sergio Roberto on the back line. Yeah, of course. And I would like to see some more Coutinho in in this match because he can't play in Champions League. So why not against Las Palmas, you know? Yeah, and and just give Iniesta some more, uh, you know, some some more break time so he can recover and just be more fresh for the Champions matches that are coming up. And yeah, I mean, Coutinho should be playing more La Liga matches, especially um, with the link of play with Messi, as we saw against the... Um, the Girona match, the way they were linking up much better, and obviously Coutinho scoring another goal. Yeah, and also, where's Paco? You know, get Paco on for this game. He was out with an injury for a little while, but, you know, now he's back. Get it, get him back out there. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to get out some time, you know, especially with Dembele playing. I mean, that's the thing, right? So if we go 4-3-3, he's going to pick Dembele over that. And in a 4-4-2, he doesn't usually pick two strikers. He usually just does Suarez and Messi. Now, if he did a 4-4-2, I would really love to see Paco and Suarez as the 
as the striker combination, then have Messi, and then you have the three midfielders kind of in the back as well. So that's what I would do. But uh, as we've seen, Val Green doesn't usually do that. He usually has either Gomes or Paulinho as the fourth midfielder in that 4-4-2. Yeah. Now, are there any players for you to watch on Las Palmas? Negative. No. No. (laughs) I mean, they're fighting for relegation. They're not very good. Like I said, they've had two or three managers this season. Uh, their their manager now, Paco Jimenez, is is a nut job. He he he's been you know he's noted for you know basically calling out his team and the media um, and just trying to always um, do these drastic changes to the team tactically when they're not really prepared for. I remember one match I think this season when he just took over they lost six nothing uh, to Real Sociedad or someone like that. So. Uh, I'm not really particularly scared. Obviously, going to Las Palmas is always not the easiest trip just because of the distance. But I think we should be able to get the points, especially if we play a 4-3-3 with Dembele. Yeah. Now, after that, at the weekend on match day 27 is when we have to go up against Atletico Madrid. So I do think that certain lineup decisions might be made with that in mind. Um, Now, Atletico do have to come to the Camp Nou. Their first meeting on match day eight, I, re- I remember it very vividly because it was Barcelona's first draw of the season in the Wanda. But now they're going to be back home. And of course, Atletico is, you know, they're no joke. They get up for this match in a similar way to how the smaller clubs do, but they have the talent. They have Griezmann, Gamero, Diego Costa, the list goes on. So you're telling me they have some players to watch? Is that what you're telling they me? They have some players to watch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Whereas I mean, Las Palmas does not. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. You know, they. I could see Val Green using the Las Palmas match to almost rest some players or take some players out with that in mind, especially with the Atletico game, because you know that match is going to be a really tough match, especially the way Atletico wants to make it a street fight and make it very physical. So I think you have a good point there. I, you know, I'm really scared of the Griezmann Costa combination. And also, they haven't been playing Gabi as much in the midfield. They've been playing younger midfielders. So I think that, and as well as they have Oblak, who's the best keeper in La Liga. But, you know, he's he's having another fantastic year. So for me, it's going to be a really tough match. Um, you know, hopefully we can get some more points off of that. If we can get a victory here, I think we can definitely um, push them further, obviously, and then give them no hope to chase La Liga going forward. Yeah, and, you know, speaking, I got some stats for you. Speaking of stats... Our defensive record is second best in the league, but it is second best to Atletico. You know, we've allowed 12 goals. They've only allowed nine. Yeah, I mean, again, they've always been um, notorious for having a really great defense and countering. I'm hoping that if we go into a a 4-3-3 more, and especially with Coutinho or Iniesta playing in that position, that'll give us a really good chance to get these three points and really just kind of um, give them no hope going forward with La Liga. Barza Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show is edited by Brian Henderson, and the music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means this is a two-man show. Go ahead and be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit barzatalk.net and find the contact page or one of our social media channels. And if you want to support the show, click on the support tab at barzatalk.net to do that. Remember, 
remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.